0: Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the industry's most exciting awards races. Who is in the running? What makes awards-worthy film and television? How can you, listener, win a statue of your own? We're sitting down with actors to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope.
1: I think that's what the human experience is, right? That's what society is. That's what makes us people, is sharing ourselves with one another and, and receiving other people. And and so in a way, writing a very personal story is it's at least an attempt at being human.
0: You just heard and Nanjiani, talking on the podcast. That was Kamal who was just in the studio here with us.
2: Yeah, he has just left the building.
0: Indeed. Um, how how was the interview? How, how What happened? Well... I was there, but what happened?
2: Yeah, from an outside perspective, mm-hmm. from a behind-the-other-side-of-the-glass perspective, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was a fascinating interview. Good. And, you know, a lot of the guests we have on this podcast are primarily actors. Mm-hmm. But this really... You know, not only is he very much, I think, a student of film, mm-hmm. but of course he's a writer and, you know, he yes. was very much the he was kind heart and of... soul of the production as well. Yes, and he kind film. of
0: honed his training on stage as a stand-up comedian, yeah. which I always have immense pers- respect for anyone who gets up Oh, and yeah. that. He yeah. talked a little bit about that. And, yeah, he's um, he is in many ways the dream backstage interview too because he's gone through this arc of, like, he did start off in the very tiny bit roles as Delivery Man and then Pakistani Chef and mm. then working his way up to like a featured role in a TV show. And now he also stars in, it's worth mentioning, the HBO comedy Silicon Valley Yeah. as the hilarious Dinesh. He's really hilarious on that show. Um, but The Big Sick is is what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for listeners who don't know, I suppose we should kind of break it down for anyone who hasn't yeah, seen it. we can
2: give a basic recap.
0: Listeners should go see it if, if they have not. A lot of people have. It was a huge hit. It's on
2: Amazon right now.
0: I think it's on Amazon right now. Yeah. It's distributed by Amazon Studios, in fact. Um, It premiered at Sundance. It came out this summer to rave reviews and huge box office and um, nominated for Gotham and Indie Spirit Awards. It is the story. It is Kumail's story. Mm -hmm. And he and his wife, Emily Gordon, wrote the screenplay that was about their meeting um, because the beginning of their relationship was also interrupted <laughs> by her being forced into a medically induced coma because of a mysterious illness.
2: <laughs> yeah. Interrupted or defined by. Or defined, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this movie, um, we go into it in great detail uh, in this interview, but the the movie dramatizes that, of course. that's That makes for a very juicy drama, but it's a laugh-out-loud comedy, and there's comedy throughout. Yeah. And he yeah. talks about the intricacies of like creating real comedy that is that comes from that real conflict and not, like, jokey and not clowny. Right. It's all about, what did he say? People who are in over their heads, essentially. It's about people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And there's comedy in that, but there's also very much drama in that.
2: Yeah, everyone's winging it. Everyone's winging it. Isn't that what and she says? And this movie
0: kind of carries all of those many disparate genres, I guess you could say, and themes mm. into one very cohesive, very funny, very heartwarming kind of Rom-com for the ages, I think.
2: And he was, as you'll hear shortly, he defines it in three acts, mm-hmm. and within those three acts, yeah. there are a further three acts. So it's a, yeah, it's a very yeah, it's a very that compartmentalized process. film, but it's yeah. at, at the same time very cohesive, yeah. of course, um, because that was the sequence of events in real life. Right. You know, it was those three distinct, you know, separate. So you start like, stages, there, and then you yeah. figure out how to. Yeah,
0: tweak it into its own yeah and that's sort of thing.
2: <laughs> it doesn't it's not surprising that you know post the event you can look back on something like that and go yeah, this this makes sense as a movie. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, and as he as he very aptly put it, when you're living through traumatic events like that, you're not thinking. Oh, I no. should really make an award-winning <laughs> movie at some point. And he was also yeah. very frank about never expecting to to be in the awards conversation. This yeah. isn't the kind of movie that typically is. Right. But times have changed, and it's a worthy it's it's worthy contender in that conversation.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of themes explored in this movie. Will recur throughout awards season, mm. mm-hmm. um, so I think it's a, like you say, it's timely. Yeah.
0: It's well, timely. and he he was talking about too about films that continue that people continue talking about as cultural milestones or as mm. like important or have changed the the mainstream in some way. And I do think that this is going to be cited as as that.
2: Yeah, going forward. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, if you haven't seen The Big Sick yet, go see it. Um, but in the meantime, we should listen in to this interview. That yeah, just happened.
2: We should stop with talking about him. Kumail Nanjiani, <laughs> let's do yeah, it. Let's do it.
0: Kumail Nanjiani is an actor, writer, and comedian, perhaps best known for his work as the hilarious Dinesh on the HBO comedy Silicon Valley. Originally from Pakistan, he honed his comedic skills on stage in Chicago comedy clubs before becoming an actor, writer, and even podcast host in his own right. The Big Sick from Amazon Studios is produced by Judd Apatow, directed by Michael Schulwalter, and stars Kumail as a version of himself with a screenplay written by Kumail and his real-life wife, Emily Gordon, detailing the beginning of their relationship. Here it is, our interview with Kumail Nanjiani.
1: Do you put your headphones on or no? No, it, it,
0: I don't like hearing my voice in my, okay. In my ears. You okay, okay. If we
2: talk to will come out of the speakers,
0: okay? Okay, great. Wow, that's new. What is? The voice of God coming from the speakers idea. Uh-huh. That's a new one. You have done podcasts. You know podcasts very well. I know podcasts. You are no stranger to this. How do you host a podcast?
1: What do you mean? <laughs> my only rule was... Uh, your, your don't stop very, talking oh okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well they
0: were very casual they were very like just flowing and they were just like almost feel like do you come up with a battle plan of what to talk about or was it more just like
1: yeah but it was also like mostly oh I guess it would depend on the podcast you know some of them required more Mm-hmm. but the literally the only rule was F- always someone's always gotta be talking no silence so do you do all year round or just around when it's the season, like Emmy season? and then It like... is just seasonal, but I think the goal is our whole thing at Backstage,
0: our Backstage coverage of awards, we want it to be year round. We want people to like campaign for awards year round and, and TV is super year round anyway. Your yeah, movie came out in the summer. That's like a perfect example of like it doesn't need to come out in that sweet spot of October, November to win awards. I think maybe it does, though, right? <laughs> no. It, doesn't it? <laughs> no, there's you, there's Get Out, there's um, Dunkirk, yeah. there's a bunch of earlier films.
1: Well, Get Out was like a phenomenon. Anony, totally. It was like just a, I mean, it made over $200 million. That was like, Nuts. you know,
0: yeah. It came I out know. like the day after the Oscars, which is like.
1: Really? Yeah, from like came a timeline perspective, that's like Yeah. Absurd. Well, but it was huge. So huge. Still yeah. is. Still is.
0: Congratulations on your Gotham and Indie
1: Spirit nominations. Thank you.
0: you, How does it feel?
1: It's fun. You know, it's exciting. It's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of adjustment of expectations at every step of the way with this, uh, Mm. which is not, I've never been involved in something that's had such a long life after sort of being done working on it. Yeah. Because it was, we worked on it for a long time. And with that, there's sort of an end goal, right? You're like, we wrote it for three years. And then at that point, we got a director. And then we started mm-hmm. working with the director. And then the goal was to get get money. And then we got money. And then the goal was to cast. And mm-hmm. then the goal was to get a great, the, the script perfect. And then the goal was to shoot it and mm-hmm. make a great movie and then edit it. But all of that, there's like a specific goal, right? After the movie's done, the goals are a little more amorphous and vague. Yeah. And it's been, you know, we showed it at Sundance at that point. We didn't know what the goal was. We wanted distribution. That was that right. was certainly a concrete goal, right? Right.
0: It's like one step at a time. It's, it's the, yeah, yeah, but
1: then it's hard. In this phase, it's a little more vague where, yeah. <laughs> you know, at Sundance, it was distribution. And then when right. it was coming out, it was like oh, good reviews. Just get the reviews and people to go. And people to go. Yeah. And that was good. That worked out. That worked. That worked really well. That mm-hmm. was beyond our expectations. Totally. And then, and then, we didn't expect it to be like this in the awards thing. We okay. did, we we were not told That's that it what would be. That's why I was be. wondering. Yeah. We didn't know. No. Because you know we were a summer movie. Right.
0: Because you were a summer movie. Interesting. And at what point in that was it Sundance? Was it like the first screening at Sundance when it first occurred to you? Oh, there might also be an awards component to this. No. W- no.
1: I don't think I was trying to talk to Emily. I was like, when did we start? When did this like I remember when it was first mentioned to us. I think our director mentioned something about it. Uh-huh. We were like, that's crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> wow. It might have been it might have been in the summer. Uh but it sort of felt like maybe there were some conversations happening behind the scenes that Emily and I were not privy to. Interesting. That Amazon and um our producers, I see. and maybe even our director, that they were sort of in on these conversations that we didn't know about. We didn't really start hearing about it until... I think the movie had been out in theaters for a little while because uh-huh. we did a platform release. So right. we opened over the course of four weeks. So, so that's when we first started hearing that they were thinking that maybe we could have some attraction and it was amazing. it was not something that we emily and i had ever considered over the course that's of amazing. writing filming or editing this movie
0: well and that's partly because correct me if i'm wrong it's partly because this is what makes the movie so extraordinary that it that it is in the race like it isn't a typical awards magnet of a movie rom-coms or not uh Frankly, movies
1: with Asian American leads are not. (laughs) Well, there aren't that many of those to even be in the thing. Exactly.
0: And a summer release, as you say.
1: Yeah. So it was all these things. We didn't, I mean, you know, we weren't setting out to make like an awards movie. We just wanted to sort of make the movie that we thought this needed to be, you know? And I guess you should never
0: set out to win awards. That would sort of. I feel. Do you feel like there are movies that are sort of made with that? I've thought about this. I've thought about this. It's almost like. And they're never the ones that do win, I think. You I think do so? think I do think there are movies out there where you're like you're watching and you're like, did you just make this solely because you could get that star who has an awards history and you were hungry for awards? Yeah. I'm certainly not gonna name names, but like Uh-huh. But if you had to name names, <laughs> who would it be? <laughs> I'm I mean okay you don't have to. I do it is interesting, like it seems like every time like Moonlight, that's a great example. Like anything that goes all the way and wins all the big awards the creator is usually scratching their heads about the awards part of it. Like, they obviously wanted to make the best possible thing. Yeah. But they never thought, oh, but also the Oscar for Best Picture.
1: Right. I think same with La La Land, too. I don't think either of those movies were made with awards things in mind. I mean, you know, it sort of became weird because the narrative sort of became like the big Hollywood movie, La La Land, versus the upstart indie movie, Moonlight. Right. What. what huge <laughs> musicals hollywood has not been making huge musicals Bully. this was a totally. throwback this was a, i mean la la land was a massive risk mm-hmm. and clearly someone made it because they wanted to make that movie because they were a fan of that kind of movie right, right? So to me, both those movies were incredibly pure because mm-hmm. Moonlight, obviously, was a very small movie, very specific story, really a vis- uh, like a creator's vision, but yeah. so was La La Land. They yes. were both, to me, very unique movies that didn't seem like didn't seem like there was anything cynical about either of those movies. No. I love both those movies. Or even mainstream, as you're, as you're saying. like Yeah, people, La La I don't Land know isn't... how that became, like, yeah. sort of the weird narrative. But, you know, well, I saw La La Land a bunch of times. I yeah. saw Moonlight a bunch of times. Both of them, uh, I had emotional reactions. to very different emotional reactions. Yeah. But I, I really love both those movies. Totally.
0: I think we should have 10 La La Lands a year. I think that like, ambitious original movie musical, like, there should be
1: more of those.
0: Yeah. And as you say, it's a huge risk. Yeah,
1: who's like, gonna? What he he's gonna do? fund that? Yeah, how did that become yeah. like the, the like the oh you know the juggernaut movie? Like yeah. how did that become like the big Hollywood establishment totally. movie? it's a musical. That like does, what was the last musical before that that wasn't like a Disney thing? That
0: was like like big time mainstream awards winner. <sighs> was it like Chicago? Chicago instead? won best picture. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a while ago. That though. was a long time ago. And then there was something. And that wasn't an original ago? musical. It wasn't no, that was made Broadway. for the screen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so uh I'm sure there are movies made, like you said, that are made with <laughs> the directors quite, like <laughs> scheming for awards. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting because there are certain movies that come out and they're like awardsy movies, and they're big mm-hmm. awards conversation, mm-hmm. and they win stuff too. but it's interesting, some of them don't uh get talked about after mm-hmm. a couple of years. Like, some of them yeah. kind of go away. Like, if I look back at, you know, the Oscars of the last 20 years, some of the big awards in movies, I'm like, oh, we we kind of don't really talk about that one. But yeah. then this one, we do talk about it.
0: Right. Like, certain ones that, nec- even if they win awards, it doesn't necessarily mean they, like, change the conversation or change the direction.
1: Or that of... they sort of last beyond. Yeah. yeah, Like, age well, even.
0: Yeah. There does seem to me to be, like, this narrative of... The giant mainstream blockbuster big budget movie versus the indie. And, of course, yes. in recent years at the Oscars, the phenomenon is it's shifted towards indie. Obviously, with Moonlight winning, that's like that movie was made for $4 million. It was like tiny, infin- infinitesimal. Yeah. And this year, I mean, just at the uh, Gotham Awards just the other day. Yeah, get out. Get Out, Doing Amazing, Lady Bird, all of these, uh, Call Me By Your Name, Your Movie. It's it's a fantastic lineup of indie films. Yeah. So it seems like that has become, maybe that's why the La La Land, Moonlight thing happened, where
1: they had to label one as indie and one as, like, not. I remember, like, even for the Super Bowl, remember, there was, like, one was, like, (laughs) because I think we're living in such a strange political time. Yes, indeed. I think there's certainly... Are we? Yeah, I think so. What? I don't know if you've uh, talked about it. Check the news any day of the last oh, few just months. Look it up real quick. Yeah, um, I think that's this. Uh, um tendency to really pick sides with everything Mm. to really label one thing one thing and the other thing the other thing i think that's really happening totally but what was cool about you know going to the gothams was Mm -hmm. we didn't win we lost to get out but i'm very happy losing to get out because that clearly is again a movie that was made first of all not with awards in mind it's a horror movie yeah no way And it was clearly Jordan's vision, and he wanted to make this movie because he wanted to make this movie. And it really hit on something. Like, it really came out at a time where we kind of needed to be jolted and sort of see certain things in different ways. And that's why that movie's lasted. And no matter what happens with it in the awards season, that movie is going to be around. And I I believe that'll be a movie that people will be talking about decades from now. Totally. It really sort of hit hit on something that was... uh, that's been socially relevant for a long time but hasn't been discussed. Yeah, or boiled yeah. down to it's like such a brilliant concise
0: conflation of like <laughs> liberalism and race and yeah. America
1: today and like and, and feel, horror. And I feel like that movie was such it, to me and I haven't talked to Jordan about this, but it, mm-hmm. to me it felt so angry. It felt it full of like yeah. righteous rage mm-hmm. in a way that can feel really it's really enervating. Uh, you know, it's very exciting. Mm. It's like fun to watch, and you can feel to me, the dominant emotion behind that movie was anger. Um, mm. And I thought that th- that's how I interpreted it. And it felt really alive to me because of that. I yeah, really, I really love that movie, well, there also seems to be a,
0: a evolution in Hollywood towards genre. And that's sort of where I think of both Get Out and the Big Sick in my mind. Like, I don't know if you guys set out to revamp the romantic comedy. In my mind, you have, in a way. Like, this
1: is a milestone of of the genre of romantic comedy. Well, I think any—we didn't set out to do that. Mm -hmm. We didn't even set out to make a rom-com, really. We knew that there were rom-com elements to it, and Mm -hmm. so we sort of talked uh, about—I'm a massive rom-com fan. Like, Mm -hmm. in the 90s, those rom-coms, I've watched all of them, all the good ones, all the bad ones, right? You wanted Hugh Grant's hair. I did. Yeah, I did. I and you had it. You had Hugh Grant. I, I had a version of it. <laughs> I had the Pakistani knockoff of it. Um, so we, we were aware of the tropes. We didn't set out to deconstruct it or revamp it or anything. Okay. We just wanted to sort of tell our story. And our only rule was, you know, we wanted it to be funny. We wanted it to be a comedy. Hmm. But our tonal sort of comps were more like truly it was broadcast news. That was the movie that we sort of— gotcha. Looked at, and we were like, hmm. "Okay, there's no bad guys in this. People hmm. who do bad things, but there's no real villains. Even you know William Hurt's character, mm. who would traditionally be the bad guy, was very, you know, he helps Albert Brooks. Like, he he teaches them how to be mm-hmm. a good news anchor and all that. So everybody, you sort of understand everybody's point of view. It's funny, but it's also like grown ups dealing with grown up problems, all that. Mm. So that's what we wanted to do. However, I think these genres as you're saying like horror mm-hmm. or rom com that people sort of understand that are sort of uh generally discounted, you know? Yeah. Horror is not really they're lowbrow, considered or they're like Yeah, they're frivolous. both lowbrow. Yeah. I think they're both um because they're sort of considered lowbrow, they can be an interesting vehicle mm. for challenging ideas because people don't expect much from them. Cool. And so you're sort of you watch these to just sort of have a good time or whatever it is, and you don't expect to be really challenged. So, mm. so I think these vehicles are actually a good way to, um, yeah, to challenge people because, mm. you know, if you're watching like some historical biopic, which I love, but you're sort of expecting certain messages to right. be in those movies. Mm. But in a horror movie or a rom com, you're not expecting any messages. Yeah, if you're not so primed. Th- yeah, so I th- I think that can actually catch people off balance in a great way.
0: Yeah, well, and I think comedy delivers those messages so much better. It just gets people more empathetic maybe or more like be able to be imaginative and think about other people in other circumstances and
1: I think if, up. Yeah, if you're getting people to laugh, you sort of yeah. can get away with so much, you know. And that's that was sort of our... Uh, that was our theory of this movie was mm. if as long as we're keeping people laughing, we can sort of get them on board with anything. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the cool. trick is that you can't break the reality of it. That was, we knew that that was going to be the challenge because um. if you're making a comedy about serious stuff like this, if you ever puncture the reality, the whole thing falls apart, right? And
0: by puncture the reality, you mean like Suddenly become really clownish, or suddenly poke fun at yourselves, or like get meta, or
1: yeah. Well, you can't get our movie. You know, I love meta stuff, but our movie could not get meta no, at all. But I honest. mean, like, you can't r- lose the 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 reality of the situation is that there's a woman who's very sick and she's in a coma yeah. and she's young and she could she could die.
0: It's also a hospital drama, and it's, and it's a very very drama. real one. Yeah,
1: it's a medical mystery. You know, yeah. it's like a culture clash. It's like. <laughs> it's a generational clash totally so all these um, all these stakes you mm. can't the, the comedy can't go against any of that gotcha so you can't have the characters making jokes that somebody that somebody wouldn't make if their daughter was in a coma you mm. know so it, it all has to come from that reality and the, the the stakes which is that this woman is very sick so all the comedy has to come from that and then all the comedy has to be thematically on point so for instance i think that's what works i think you know people talk a lot about how they're like you know when there was a lot more improv and comedy in the beginning people liked it and now i feel like there's a little bit of a backlash against it oh. Where people are like, ah, it's too improv, it's too improv. And to me, hmm. that just signals that the jokes are not thematically on point and that they don't make sense in character and situation. To me, that's what that means. Okay. So, our movie has some improv, not a ton, but all the jokes have to work thematically. So, for instance, if you look at when I first meet Emily's parents in the mm-hmm. movie, there's a whole section of the movie that's funny. But it's all us misunderstanding each other, mm-hmm. right? So the nine eleven conversation oh, is misunderstanding God. each other. Yeah. Then later that night, um, I, you know, he he says that uh, Ray says that watching Holly fight that guy was very sexy, and I go, me too. And again, that's a there's a there's there's a misunderstanding there. Then mm-hmm. when we're all tasting the wine, I make a joke. There's a misunderstanding there. <laughs> He's trying to make a joke. I don't get his joke. Mm. The the highballs joke. I don't understand. <laughs> so, those are all to me thematically on point because these are these are people who are trying to communicate and get on the same page, and they yes. cannot do it right. It's about people. The movie at its most basic is about people trying to relate to each other and the things that get in the way. So all of the jokes mm-hmm. on some level within each part have to um have to serve that theme, right?
0: Yeah, the comedy has to come from the cultural or generational conflict and not the other way around. Right. But like we're going to do jokes and then we're going to sneak – we're going to stuff in generational conflict.
1: Right. No, it's the generational conflict and then the jokes have to come mm-hmm. from that. It's the mm-hmm. cultural conflict and the jokes have to come from that. It's, uh, it's just people being uh, on different pages and the jokes have to come from that. So even though hmm. all the stuff with me and Emily, if you notice, we're never exactly – you know what? We knew we had like one act to sort of tell the story of this relationship. Of her, yeah. You know, um, Zoe Kazan has a very tough job in this movie. I think you know, I I mean, she's so great in it. And Phenomenal. I feel like it's such a great performance that it feels a little easier than it really is. She yeah. has to do so much. She has to establish this character in Act One, leave for Act Two, but mm-hmm. have her presence felt the yes. entire time. Totally. And then in act three, she comes back. And she's back where she was in act one, where Mm -hmm. everybody else has moved on. That's very, very tricky. And she's obviously absolutely phenomenal. Um, But in the first act, we have to tell the story of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And really, again, there, we watched a lot of rom-coms, good ones and bad ones. Okay, for research. For research. And the bad ones fun. we found, what they do is they show a montage and then they're in love. And they're in love because they're meant to be in love mm. because it's a rom-com. So we wanted to have... I see. When you're really getting to know someone, there's a lot of push and pull. There's there's People are rarely on the same page at the same time. It's like, I'll reveal myself to you in this way mm. with the expectation that you'll reveal yourself to me in some in some mm. way. And so if you watch the first act, in every scene... Emily and my character Mm -hmm. are not in sync. Even Mm -hmm. though you're seeing these people falling in love and hopefully buying that they're falling in love, Mm -hmm. they're not on the same page in any of those scenes. The only time they're on the same page is the last scene of the movie. That's the first time that they're both on the same page. And that was all, you know, it was a lot of conversation. It was me and Emily talking about how uh, we got to know each other, but how we'd also gotten to know other people that we had dated that that obviously mm. didn't last, but what was what hmm. was it that didn't make it last? Um, what wow. was it about those other people that made us fall in love or think we were falling in love? Wow. So all that writing was very... If you watch it, every scene, it's like we're slightly off. Our timing is off yeah. until right at the end. And you think you you kind of have to do that. Every scene of a movie has to feel a little incomplete, you know? So yeah. that you're you're going on Propelling to the next forward. scene. Which is one thing I learned in writing this movie coming from writing um, you know, half hour comedies or something where every scene has a button.
0: Yeah, a total ending.
1: An ending. Movies yeah. don't have that. You can't have the scenes hmm. have an ending. Even our last scene of the movie doesn't have an ending. Which <sighs> and we, we learned that but oh. as you say, they're on the same page for the first time. For the first so time. So that's the resolution, and it, in a way. Yeah. yeah, and it ends. It ends. Yeah. Um, And a lot of that was really, you know, I loved the before trilogy, Richard Linklater's. Oh, mm-hmm. oh s- yeah. So I, I've seen before Sunrise, before Sunset, before Midnight, Tons of times. Yeah,
0: that's good research, too, I imagine.
1: It really is because it's two people making a real connection. Yeah. And those movies have that push and pull, you know. And you can oh, see yeah. they're sort of, at some point, trying to dazzle each other with their intellect or they're a little cagey mm. or they're, where they go from telling the stories that they tell to telling, telling stories that they don't tell, mm. you know, when they really start revealing themselves. So, mm. so those movies were, again, movies that we really— um, and uh, that I think really influenced our movie. Another hmm. movie that really influenced our movie was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh wow! And I didn't even realize that until I'd seen the movie a few times, and I was like, okay, so clearly that was a scene in huh. Eternal Sunshine that I really loved. That, in some form, has has affected our movie. Wow,
0: because it's about that movie about one character who's yeah, like incapacitated in some way. And the other is
1: trying to get him back. Again, they're not on the same page, you know, because one is lost.
0: Is is losing the other one. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. And
1: and to me, the scene in that movie that I really, really, obviously it's the turning point of the movie is when he's losing her. He's getting her deleted. And then she's telling him this. I can't even talk about it without getting emotional. She's telling him. In bed, this this very revealing story of herself, and he's like, oh, I don't want to lose this one. I don't want to lose this memory, you know?
2: Yeah,
1: And so, uh, to me, that scene is so beautiful because when it goes from people posturing and Mm. revealing good parts of themselves Mm -hmm. to just revealing themselves. And so we try to do that in our movie uh, in the first act with their relationship. And we knew we had a lot of work to do in a very small amount of time.
0: So, and you did delineate acts, Right, and that was helpful to structure it that way?
1: Well, from the beginning we knew, right before we ever put um, a word on a page, mm-hmm. it was we, the three acts are a couple meets, she falls into a coma, she's up from the coma. Mm-hmm. So that's a very natural nice. three-act structure. But then within each act, there's three acts within each act too.
0: Oh, uh, Okay.
1: Because the first act is they meet, they fall in love, they break up. So that, in a way, has uh. to be its own story. And that was something, you know, we would get notes and we really sort of resisted. Our our first act is quite long. Um, mm. It shouldn't feel long, but if you look at it as number of pages, the number of prescribed pages that a first act is supposed oh, okay. to be, it's longer than that. But okay. but But it doesn't feel long because it has all these acts and movements within it. Hmm. Um it's sort of its own short film. It's the story of a relationship developing and then ending, right? Mm. Um and then Act Two, we're introducing New two main characters, yeah. which doesn't happen, you know. No. Books will tell you that by page twelve all we've met all the main characters uh. or whatever. <laughs> We're forty forty pages into the script when we made two of the main characters yeah, of the movie. But so that's, that's
0: exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. And so
1: that's its own movie. So we knew that cool. the challenges we had, which is that one of the leads is gone and that we're getting two new characters. We knew those were challenges, but they were also tremendously exciting because we we hadn't seen that. No. and and, and, and that's the kind hmm. of stuff that I think keeps people I think it's important to keep people a little off balance when you're watching something. Um, because that's how you can get an emotional reaction from people is when you break out of sort of the, the narrative tunnels that we have in our mind. We have these like canals, you know, that we're like, this is how stories flow. This is what happens. And, and I think that's satisfying, but also it's when you break out of that, that people have a reaction, like, you know, like, for instance, Get Out, you don't know what that movie's about until quite a bit into it. You're right. sort of always like, off balance. It's a like,
0: mystery, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a mystery. Yeah. Right? And, so
0: that you can follow the rules by going through those tunnels or you can subvert and, like, make new tunnels. Yeah. As a writer. Yeah. yeah. And
1: when you're subverting, you're not subverting to subvert the genre or the form. You're subverting mm-hmm. to get an emotional reaction. Okay. And that's what that's what we did. Okay.
0: Rather than, like, a grand goal of, like, I'm going to reinvent right. the whole. That's just silly.
1: Well, I don't know if it's silly. I think people can do that if they want. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of great art that is specifically uh, where the focus is subverting it, you know, where it's uh, about deconstructing it. And I I think, you know, there are I think there's some great movies that are about deconstructing movies. Hmm. Ours was not that. Ours was about... Just telling the story and hopefully eliciting emotional reactions from the viewer.
0: Well, I the question I really wanted to ask you about that writing process is you, the, everything you're describing about this writing, it first of all, it just sounds very difficult, the idea of creating comedy out of these pretty horrific yeah. circumstances. Yeah. Was there any point during the actual events of her actually being in a coma where you stopped to think like, well, this would make a great story or movie.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, that's certainly not a comedy. Not any kind of movie. It was, you know, you're so, so much of your energy is spent during that time trying to not think about the worst thing that can happen, right? Yeah. And so, so you're not really thinking about how, you know, I mean, there's the, when you're living through something like this, there's one big question mark. And that big question mark sort of clouds everything. Mm. And there's it really you really have no perspective because there's no perspective to be had. I remember I would go to like a grocery store to pick something up, and people would be just shopping and getting candy. And it felt so vulgar to me. I was like, These people are just living their lives? Don't they know that totally. you know it's I it, know that feeling well. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's sort of, to me, it reminds me of another rom-com, Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm. where he, uh, John Hanna's character, when, when Simon Callow's character, his lover dies, oh, yeah. he reads this uh, poem by W.H. Auden, which yes. is like, you know, like, turn off the sun, tell everything, like the world is over because yeah. this person's dead. That's how Ugh. I... That's how I felt doing this. It's like, how are traffic lights still working? Yeah, you know? how yeah. are people like going about their day? That kind of feeling. Totally. That's like completely all encompassing. So, real. so that's sort of what uh, the second act of our movie. That's the feeling we had to achieve, right? That all these mm. characters. All they're thinking about is this one thing, and all their energy is spent yeah. trying to not think about that thing.
0: Yeah, wow. And the Kamal, the character, also has to grapple. He's also having a quarter-life crisis. He's also having like a yeah, existential sure. crisis on top of all of that.
1: Yeah, and, and I think this event is what allows him a little bit to focus on the idea that he's having this crisis because he doesn't know he's having this crisis mm. until... Until this happens. But all that to the point, you know, when you're living through it, it's not funny. But Mm. later, Mm. you know, comedy is people dealing with situations that they're not equipped to deal with. And so we knew the basic construction of this movie was comedic. It's these people dealing with something they're not equipped to deal with. And the idea to me of people trying to not feel or think about the one thing that they're feeling or thinking about is funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... So, so we knew that a lot of comedy in the movie could come from people fighting against what they're feeling and fighting against what they want to say and then saying mm. it to the wrong person. So in the movie, one of the big sort of comedic set pieces of the movie is me getting angry at this guy at a fast food place because he won't yeah. give me four slices of cheese, you know? Yeah. And that's obviously, I'm not angry at that guy. I'm not angry <sighs> that he's not giving me what I wanted. I'm angry at everybody else. And it comes out on this guy. So to me, that's really funny, you know, people sure. not being able to deal with themselves.
0: Right, it's that inherent, um, there's that inherent drama and conflict in feeling one way and needing to suppress it or needing to like yes. express it in a different way. Yeah. And, and, and that can be comedy very much. Yeah, yeah.
1: and the movie is about sort of feeling yourself and understanding yourself and understanding other people. And so those are sort of the things that, you you sort of show the wrong way that these characters are dealing with it until you show the right way. You you know Holly's character getting angry at that heckler again—that's a righteous anger. But that scene was so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not about it's not about her taking the stand. It's about all her frustration about yes. her daughter that she's unable to to process. Yeah, um, and Ray gets really angry in that scene, scene too, and it's the same thing. So so we knew that there was uh. funny stuff to be done, but but most of it was. Um, uh, not losing sight of the reality, making sure that their emotional journeys make sense. Mm. And, you know, we have a lot of storylines in the movie, so that was the other. Those were all the For challenges certain. we had. Don't lose the reality. Keep it funny. Uh, but also keep it emotionally intense and service all the five stories we have.
0: And so many supporting characters. I, I think of even the, the nurse at the hospital and, like, the many women who he has to be set up on these awkward dates with. Like, they all felt like real fleshed out, lived in characters, at least portrayed by those wonderful actors.
1: Yeah, we really wanted every single person to in the movie to have their moment. You know, I see a lot of movies that are sort of written by the people that are starring in them and they're the funny one in the movie and everybody uh, else is sort of setting them up and they just have all the punchlines. So from the gotcha. beginning, our other, you know, mission statement was we want everybody in the movie to have to be interesting and to be funny. So if you look at like my mom, my dad, mm-hmm. my brother, the 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 girls that they're trying to set me up with, um, my friends Emily, Ray, Holly, uh, the ner- Everybody has funny moments, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though the, the nurse is in basically two real scenes but in the first one she she has like a funny she has a funny moment and then the next one she has sort of a bigger emotional moment so we wanted to make sure that every character in this movie uh that that every actor had had something to To work with to to be excited
0: talk to me about the the casting how did you find all these people
1: so the first person we cast was zoe because we knew that if Mm. that relationship didn't work the movie wouldn't work and Mm -hmm. it's you know, like we said, it was a very it was a high wire act because we only have one act to establish her, and yeah. then sort of have to feel her through the rest of the movie. Um, so we we audition- knew,
0: Did you know she was like the best kept secret in in Hollywood? And in
1: I was told that. Okay. When we first <laughs> no longer, but well, when we it's it, when we first I wasn't as familiar with it, mm-hmm. but when we first started talking about it, Judd was like, I think it's going to be Zoe Kazan, oh, wow. and then Mike. Uh, had met her for coffee and was like, I think it's going to be Zoe Kazan. Wow. And I didn't I didn't know her work, so I was like, that would be great. So we auditioned a lot of people, and we auditioned some really big names too, you know? It was kind of cool. We realized, like, there aren't that many parts, great female parts, in comedies where mm. where you sort of get to do everything, where you get to have, you know, an emotional life, but also be funny, but also mm. be... Uh, you know, you don't really—we realize that we don't really get that that much because of how many hmm. big, famous actresses wanted to audition for the movie. Gotcha. And so we auditioned everyone, and I'll tell you, everyone was great. It was actually really inspiring and intimidating seeing uh-huh. how— I'm sure. Because we, we auditioned— It's your first
0: movie that you've written. That yeah. Just like—
1: what? Well, you're auditioning these people and you're like, all of these people are amazing. Ones ones I know and have heard of and I'm fans of and ones I've never heard Mm. of. Everybody's great. And everybody was different and very specific. Hmm. But with Zoe, it was like she was just right for it. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like when I do auditions and I don't get it, they're like, he's great, but he's not right for it. I Mm. never bought it. I was like, oh, I fucked up my audition. Yes. But that's exactly what it was. (laughs) She was just right for it. So. We auditioned everyone. She was the last person that we auditioned. We did sort of two full days of auditions. Hmm. And right after her audition, Judd was like, call her agent. So they called her agent. And me and Emily and Zoe met the next night for dinner somewhere. Cool. And then after that, because we knew, okay, so now we have Zoe. Because you have to sort of reverse engineer. And you have to go like, ah. who makes sense as her parents, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so and so, then the next person was, was Holly Hunter because mm-hmm. she makes sense as Zoe's mom and she's yeah. also Holly Hunter. And if we're talking about <laughs> broadcast news so much, let's mm. just try and... And that was Judd's idea. Judd had just seen Holly Hunter conduct a class, I believe at Carnegie Mellon, an acting class, mm. like a master oh, cool. class. And, uh, and so we sent the script to Holly and we had a few conversations with her on the phone. And she agreed. And then once she agreed... It was, again, it was Judd was like, I think Ray Romano. He's like, people don't know how all the stuff he can do.
0: Yeah, see, that seems like the most kind of reach of a choice
1: almost. Well, I mean, you know, he's great on his show. I love Everybody Loves Raymond. And he was always like very, there was always like a very appealing melancholy to him. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a just, great description.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like very like, there's a little bit of like... Hang dog everyman mm. quality to him, but yeah. then this really amazing comic mind and timing. Right, so it's, mm. it it works really well because he can play a normal guy and be really funny at being a normal guy. You know, mm. so uh, and we just start Holly and Ray sort of were a nice mirror image to me and Emily, in that they also seem to occupy such different worlds you know they're from sure. clearly from different worlds
0: they also had like
1: a cultural yeah divide, yeah, yeah. yeah a different type of cultural divide, and you know it's cool she's so much taller than her they just yeah. like looked interesting together cool, so that's what it that's how that core group happened, yeah, yeah.
0: that's how you make the kind of very real inter I mean, you got to make these two—you've written it on the page, but then you've got to find two actors who have conceivably been married for decades yeah, <laughs> and have a very complicated history and are working through it, and yeah. we have to believe it all.
1: Yes. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of the th- another thesis of the movie is that mm. people are always working— and they're never done. They're working on their relationships and their relationships take work, right? So it's my, mm-hmm. if my character is someone who sort of cuts and runs and doesn't think, doesn't love conflict, well, being in a relationship, getting to know people, conflict is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And you just have to work through it. And everybody's kind of doing the best they can. And that's the line in the movie that mm-hmm. Holly has that to me is like the theme of the movie where I say, you know these, this surgery. These doctors know what they're doing, and she goes, "No, they don't. They're just winging it like everybody else." And that's yeah. Oh my God. That's sort of the thesis of the movie is that everybody's winging it. We're all doing our best. Everybody's got inner conflict and outer conflict and all of this, and we're just sort of life is messy, but that's what it is, you know. Because my character is a guy, who sort of kept all his different lives separate. You know, his parent yeah. parents are different from his comedy life, or different from. Uh, the girls he dates, so there's, like, all these different worlds that he's balancing, and, and the the message of the movie, if there is one, is, mm. like, it's all one big, messy life. So that's... Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And, of course, that makes him want to cut and run, because he's compartmentalizing too much. Yeah. And... I love that scene when it all comes out to his parents and he's finally just screaming at them way too much, like all of the things yeah. that should have that he should have given them piecemeal. Instead, I it all comes out at once. There's been just saying, no strategy. <laughs> right. It's, I'm having a full identity and, and certainly cultural crisis. Yeah. I've long abandoned the religion that you think I still practice. Right,
1: right. It's nuts. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of how it happens. That, that is in real life when I told my parents about Emily because, mm. because you know, like I said, there's that one big question mark that you're trying to not think about Ugh. and 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 everything else feels small compared to that. Yeah. So in that moment, even though it's such a big thing, his concern for Emily is so all-encompassing that mm. everything else seems... Uh, tacklable you know
0: yeah yeah um i want to go back to this idea you you mentioned earlier the we mentioned politics earlier but we we are now in this year and in this time where it kind of seems like any piece of art is political even if it wasn't made in that way sure any personal act almost yeah i don't know if that's the right way of saying that but like you made this movie before the presidential election and you certainly did not write it In any political context, right? Like, unless the idea of a rom-com starring a Pakistani-born Pakistani-American man, I mean, is that a political act? Is that a political act from the beginning that you're conscious of?
1: No. no. Um, I mean, me being in a relationship with a white woman is now a political act, you know. But it always kind of was. Like Exactly. Right. I think I think maybe, you know, this year has brought some things into focus and certainly heightened some things. But these things were always there. These things mm-hmm. did not become a part of America in the last year and a half, you know. They were sure. obviously there. In some ways, they were dormant. But, but they were there. I mean, you know, Islamophobia mm-hmm. has been something that's been part of America for for a long, long time, I mean, you yeah. know, in the eighties, it was Ayatollah Khomeini and Hezbollah, and then you know, so, so, the, so it's always been there. Yeah, we did not think of this movie as a political act at all, but just seeing a brown guy with a white woman is—it's it's intercultural, sh- interracial relationships are un- sort of perceived yeah. as a political stand. <laughs> right? They yeah. shouldn't
0: be, but they are. I
1: guess. Yeah, but but that's what was. Um, I'm glad that we made the movie when we did, which was last summer, because mm. we weren't trying to say anything about that. And I think that's yeah. way more powerful than, like, sort of trying to... Like, cook into the script
0: some, like, weird commentary. Or...
1: Yeah, I think people put it together. I think, you know, the, yeah. the the what people get from the movie is what they get from the movie. Yeah. yeah. we We didn't want it to be a... Political statement in any way, and it was also you know when all that stuff was happening, I was like, "What do we do? What, 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 what is our duty as, as, as writers? How do we yeah. tackle this?" And for me, it was, I, I sort of felt kind of relieved knowing that we had this movie that we'd already made coming out that was going to speak to a lot of that stuff without, uh, in, in sort of a subtle way.
0: Yeah. Without intentionally doing that.
1: I think, you know, telling people exact... I think talking to people directly just does not work. I think people tune mm. out. I think the the lines are drawn too hard, too sharp. Talking to people directly, I truly believe, does not work. I think you you sort of... All you could do is make and write stuff that embodies your point of view and then trust and hope that people will we'll get that tune
0: into that story
1: yeah I mean look at Get Out you know if they had said like directly yeah. like it is hard being a black person in America uh, nobody would listen to that but you make a movie that, that illustrates that in a in a yeah. in a in a pretty direct way but but uh, but also in an indirect way it's sort of like a bank shot you know um, mm. I think people will understand that more I think if you can get an emotional response from people with your sort of ideas that's much more uh, powerful
0: yeah well, is – I mean, is that the answer? Like what – I almost want to ask like what do we do? Like should we keep making and recognizing and honoring and talking about this, this great art that whether intentionally or unintentionally becomes a political act? It becomes revolutionary, resistant in some way?
1: I think so. I mean I think that's what – that's how I – you know, it really – Strangely, the last year has become so. It's really given, I think, everybody a lot of perspective, and it's sort of like, you know, everything that I've written since then, or I'm working on now. Ooh. It always has. St- I want to know what you're working on now. <laughs> I just it it does. I think it feels in some way. You know, it's kind of like, what are we fucking doing? Uh, are we are we just, like, <laughs> wasting our time writing stupid, dumb jokes? Or are we, like, mm. making something that has some sort of heft to it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I thought about this a lot. I was like, I'm a comedian. My job, in some ways, is to comment on these things. How do I do it? Mm. And I think I think that's at least what I'm going to try and do is just make and write stuff that, to me, um, embodies my take on some of these things indirectly, in an entertaining way. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the thing, you know. You kind of have to be entertaining because people will turn it off. Like, that's why I think our movie works is because it's a comedy. Right. Even though, you know, comedies are generally, like, discounted for these awards things. Sure. I think... I think for us, it was essential that it is a comedy because you don't want to be speaking to people about this stuff unless you can actually entertain them. And I'm a big fan of pop culture. I'm a big fan of mainstream entertainment. And I think mainstream entertainment and comedy mm. is a great way to really get at some of these deeper truths, you know. Um, sure. I I I think... Uh, I think but, but I think the fact that comedy is discounted is to its advantage. I okay. think the fact that comedy is an <laughs> underdog actually helps you smuggle some of these things uh, into okay. it. So, so you know, all the stuff that we're working on now that I'm working on now is in some way relevant to I think where the world is right now. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Do you feel especially particularly in You've had such a crazy calendar. This this calendar year of 2017 is so crazy. Do you feel a responsibility? Do you feel like a duty as a member of the comedy community? As you say, it's part of the job is to comment on the times and to create entertainment that has that aspect to it. But you've gone from, like, member of the comedy community to, like, A-list member of the comedy community. (laughs) And you really do, like, have proven that you have your finger on the pulse. So is that a daunting responsibility?
1: I think everybody defines their own duty, you know. I don't think Mm. the duty that you have is something that uh, is thrust upon you by society or anything. I think everybody Mm. on their own has to decide what their duty is, if they have a duty. Like, you know, for a long time, you know, if you're like someone who's Pakistani, I don't think it's your duty to sort of show a good Pakistani face to the world, you know. I don't think that's your duty. I think I think people have to decide that on their own. So, okay. So for me, you know, I have sort of defined it a little bit my duty as as sort of commenting on these things. I want to make stuff that speaks that speaks to some of the things that I think are important. I mm-hmm. I would love. This is a very lofty goal that everything I make to sort of have some sort of uh some sort of impact. It doesn't have to sure. be Big. It doesn't even have to try to be big. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to make stuff that does something, you know, that says something. And and that's just how I naturally am. It's not like... I feel like everything you write, if you're writing from a personal place, is going to have... I think every person has like a certain number of things that they worry about right that are sort of their issues that they haven't chosen that that are just the things that they think about mm-hmm. I think every day there are certain things like that they haven't chosen yeah. yeah, I think that you you don't choose to be worried about the things that you're Actually. worried about. You just worry about those them. are the things that keep you up at night. Yeah, yeah, the things that keep you up at night. And I think if you look at people who've made a lot of stuff, who've written a lot of stuff, you see those concerns popping up in some mm-hmm. ways over and over. Cool. You know, like I think a lot of Linklater stuff mm-hmm. is about. Aging, right? So boyhood, or the sure. before movies, or even dazed and confused, you know, all. Mm. So you see again. I, I I haven't heard him talk about this, right. and I haven't talked You're to him not about his it. You're
0: therapist, but we can surmise from his. Yeah, the, yeah. The,
1: the, the, that's one of his concerns, totally. right? That's one of his worries. So I think, I think, I think those things naturally come out uh in people's writings, as long as they're trying to write from a personal place cool so so i think i think i don't I don't see I think my duty then is just to write about stuff that does have those things in it um, and you know again, I don't wanna feel like I'm representing a big group of people because that's too much responsibility mm. but but the fact is, I am a little more visible member of this community. And whether it's, I want it or not, I do have a little bit of that responsibility. So try, so I try and do the best job I can. but, right. but You're it's, not going to deny the responsibility.
0: You're not going to say, oh, I don't represent this group of people because
1: no matter what yeah. i do and it's it's hard you know you, you can't have one person representing a whole group of people because <laughs> there's so many different experiences within that yeah, you right. know and so i see sometimes you know people will be upset at me because i don't embody themselves totally. and I'm, and i'm like no one person can no one story can i think we just need more voices from every yes uh, every group and and that's the only way that people will sort of see themselves
0: like if you're not the, if you're not the only famous Pakistani-American man in Hollywood we need more yeah that would be more helpful to have more so that you're not yeah as Emily says no banner. one's looking
1: to Matt Damon to be like embody the experience of being a white man in America oh, no. But to me, people are looking to me to be like embody the experience of being a Pakistani immigrant yes, in America. Every Pakistani immigrant. Yeah, yeah but totally. but nobody can right. because there's no one story. There's there mm-hmm. are millions of stories, and that's what's beautiful about it. And right. so, so I think um, I think we just need more.
0: Yeah. Well, th- and is that does that double as your advice for aspiring writers and for people who want to write those stories? You gotta write about the things you worry about. Write about your specific story and maybe don't try to hold yourself to some standard of like i have to represent the entire experience of such and such.
1: Yeah, i think that's exactly right. I think you i think you have to try and tune into the things that worry you because the other issue is as people you try and push away the things that worry you too, you know, that's sort of yeah. like one of our defense mechanisms, yes. right? You're like I'm worried about this thing. Obviously, yeah, that's exactly right. So, so it's like, oh, I'm worried about this thing, so I don't want to think about it. That's mm-hmm. my character's problem in the movie. Totally. So one of the things, one of the challenges of writing is you, 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 you sort of have to be aware of what you're worried about,
0: and, and you sort of have it. to
1: worry about it. Yeah. Right. You have to. You have to lean into it. You have to, because hmm. uh, so much of us, so much of the human experience, is trying to deny emotion, and I think you, <sighs> I think you really have to. I think you have to feel it, um, and then write from that place. I think. Well,
0: and you've said that in terms of your your the evolution of your stand up, your early stand up career, was you started off talking about very superficial things, very just like observational, mm-hmm. whatever. And it wasn't until you dug into, oh, I can talk about my personal experiences. Oh, I can own the fact that I'm Muslim, and that I, after nine eleven, you had to make jokes about. Yeah because people would catcall you. (laughs) Yeah. Just
1: hinted at in The Big Sick as well. Yeah. I mean, that stuff all really happened. I think... Yeah. um, I mean, you know, in the beginning, you're just trying to get comfortable being on stage and how Mm. to write a joke and and being... Hmm. being, You know, speaking about yourself or revealing... It's very vulnerable. It's very difficult. I always think the hardest thing about being a comedian is being yourself. Um, Oof. And a lot of that is not just your growth as a comedian but even as a person right it's just hard being yourself yeah. like it's it's so hard to not have walls up or masks up yeah. you know i mean you sort of see people all the time that you're like oh my god you're in such denial of yourself and it's something that i'm guilty of too and, totally. and i i try and i try and be myself um, but it's hard. And it's, it's so hard. hard.
0: That's why stand-up comedy is the hardest because it, that it seems like to me that's the process is you you're trying to be on stage, stripping it down to your most essential self, and it's such an act of bravery every single time you get up there.
1: It is, but it's also it's also very exciting. It's like sort of actually being yourself and being in the moment. The thing that standup mm-hmm. sort of folk forces you to do, at least at least when you're when you're feeling good about it, it's it's exhilarating, too, you know, really, like, truly being in the moment and being yourself. But, but you know, you try and do that even with, like, even with writing this movie. You know, mm-hmm. it really was, like, an expression of me and Emily as people. We really wanted... When people watch this movie, they get to know us a little bit. Amazing. Um, it's very vulnerable, but it's it's also exciting because that's what... Oh, this is gonna sound very pretentious, but I think that's what the human experience is, right? Yeah. That's what society is. That's what makes us people is sharing ourselves with one another and and receiving other people, and and so in a way, writing a very personal story is is it's a very very um, it's at least an attempt at being human. Uh. <laughs> wonderful. Talk about putting a button on
0: a little story. That was a perfect note to end on. Thank you. Well, thank
1: you for having me. That was really fun.
0: Thank you. This is wonderful. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the industry's awards races, in the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast whiz, Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at NYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at Jack JackSmartWrites. Thank you, of course, to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rappaport. Mark Stinson, Francis Ramos, Rawan Al-Khatib, and especially the astounding Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse In the Envelope.